listening to Awake in Relationship, a podcast about intimacy, community, and culture in a time of great change, with Silas Rose. My name is Silas Rose, and this is a weekly relationship. If you're a regular listener, you probably know that I'm a huge lover of dance. I've actually done a few interviews on the topic. I really believe it's the、uh, perfect medicine for this time. And if I'm still practicing Chinese medicine, it'd be the one prescription I'd give to everyone: go find yourself a dance floor. It'll make you feel better. Since time immemorial, humans have used dance as a form of sacrament in tribal and ceremonial settings for both healing and social well-being. The rhythmic beat of a djembe, or for that matter, a subwoofer, connects us with the internal rhythm of the heart. When we move to the beat with others, we also discover something so missing in our world these days—a deep sense of connection. I see dance as really a form of co-regulation in public space. It's no wonder that、uh, ecstatic dance, a form of conscious dance, has really exploded in the past few years. In a time when there's so much change and things feel like they're just falling apart everywhere, this form of dance is really breaking down barriers to connection and building community in a most exquisite way. In this episode of Weekend Relationship, I speak with returning guest Shauna Devlin, the founder of Danceability, a not-for-profit that brings conscious dance to traditionally underserved communities, including elders and the differently abled. Shauna trained in five rhythms under Gabrielle Roth, and has been rocking dance floors for over twenty years. In this conversation, we explore the many facets and practices. Of conscious dance, from the perspective of a seasoned facilitator and DJ, we also discuss the healing power of music and moving together, and how to make this medicine more accessible in the world. So, regardless whether you are a seasoned dancer or just dance curious, this episode's for you. Sean and Devlin, welcome back to the show. Thank you. Yeah, you were actually one of my first interviews back in 2020. Before the, I think it was before the pandemic, so it might have been 2019. And at that time, you were,、uh, I think, just about to launch Dance Your Ability. So maybe give us a little bit of a update about what you've been up to. Yeah. So that was、um, the first. Dance your ability training that we offered that I offered back then was me、um, was twenty nineteen twenty twenty and then COVID hit.、Um, so during those years,、um, we did、uh, two or three online and then one in person in Vancouver,、um, which was great.、Um, and now we're、uh, doing going to Calgary. Victoria, 
and Toronto. It's exciting to bring it to places because um, it is um, like, you know, you've done it online. And um, so this, the way we've formatted the training now is it's two weekends in person, a month apart. And then within that month, there's four Zoom sessions with mm-hmm. things that we can do online that we don't have to do in person. So that the intention is that when we're in person, um, we really, you know, practice. And so people, participants really get to step in front of the group and try some of the tools on and really practice leading, which is more of a challenge on Zoom. A lot of people want to work in person. And so and just to be in a room with someone and to practice and learn how to read body language and to read the vibe of a group and like, oh, okay, well, we actually need to go this way. You know, you can learn, you can read things through Zoom, but it's obviously more challenging. Yeah, it might be, might be interesting to just explore, like, what it, what is conscious dance? How is it differentiating mm-hmm. from dance yeah so of course when we think of dance we think of um, like a dance class like ballet or um, performance stuff or we think of partner dance perhaps like latin dance or something um you know dance the word dance brings a, a lot of people sometimes people will immediately go back to being 13 at their first high school dance and experience that sort of painful moment or maybe being a child and doing your free dance and someone saying oh you know settle down or you know boys can't do that or whatever society stuff is telling us so conscious dance essentially is a place where a facilitator or dj is going to create a music set um and following an arc or a wave generally not always but um, that's how I work and the five rhythms works with that, that style. So the music starts off sort of slow and it builds and it crescends. It has a peak and then it comes out the other side. And, um, what people are invited to do is to move to their response to that music, whatever that looks like. And so they might, someone might come in really tired, um, and they're invited to move with tired or so it's, um, it's, it's an embodiment practice, hmm. right? It's um, a community. It's can be it's very therapeutic. It's not therapy per se, but it is very, I mean, I've had countless people say to me, I just did five years of therapy in this hour and a half class. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a place to release. It's a place to check in. Like, how am I feeling? I'm going to move my shoulders. And, um, and then it's like, wow, I'm really tight. So then I'm going to spend some time there. And all of a sudden there's a, some release. Um, we can work with emotions and dance, um, partner work, solo work. It's all there. So depending on the modality and the intention, um, lots can happen. Um, and an ecstatic dance um, is um, different. Um, it's not generally facilitated. It's more of a <clears throat> kind of a conscious um rave in a way like there's just that different so there's a real space just to move and dance and um and then conscious dance generally is done by a a person that's done some sort of training a facilitator and they so they're going to facilitate throughout um 
Um, so really different, different kind of vibes. Ecstatic dances tend to be larger, a little bit higher energy, but not always. And um, so they they cross over, but there there is a, there is some difference there. Oh well, here in Victoria, we are blessed with a dance temple. It's every Sunday morning, and basically there could be a over 150 people in the room sometimes. So yeah. I, I love that idea of you know it is kind of like a rave. <laughs> mm-hmm. Without uh, yeah, less less the less the intoxicants and the um that part, and it's you know and it has a start and a finish. Yeah, there's a beginning and an end, and those are generally held with some intention and um, sacredness. And then there's a big dance in the middle. Um, and then where it's conscious dance, you can work with themes. There can be a teaching involved, you know, mm-hmm. partner exercises, conversations, things like that. So dance your ability. Um, what I saw is that I would go into outreach settings and I wasn't really doing the five rhythms per se. Who I am is from my practice, which is the five rhythms. And I, any space I walk into, I'm bringing that to my practice, right? It's my, it's everything. It's my spirituality. It's my meditation. It's my embodiment practice. So it holds a lot for me. But um, I wasn't really doing that. It was different. And But my goal was to give people space to experience the gold of conscious dance, the gold of ecstatic dance where you just get to do your dance and it's so miraculous and it's so beautiful and um, so much joy happens. And with joy, there's always the sadness. So, so we get to dance with the sadness and we get to dance with the joy and we feel connected. So I'm a, I'm a real lover of electronic music, which really, you know, goes back to the nineties, um, which I, I guess I was a bit late coming to the party in terms of rave, but that's uh, when the, the fire got lit for me, especially in terms of dance. There was something really I found quite raw about the music, particularly like techno and uh, even early dubstep. There was a kind of a punk element to it. I'm, I'm curious if you ever spent time at the rave in those days. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, I didn't. Um, I was busy in um, discotheques in the Caribbean. Uh, my family lived down in Dominican Republic in St. Lucia during that time. And so um, I I also worked in the ski industry. So I would come to Canada for the winters and then be in the Caribbean for the summers. So I missed, that was the late 80s and most of the 90s. I moved back to Canada in the late 90s, but I started a family. So, and I was living on a Gulf Island. So I was, I I missed those, the raves, but I was busy in Latin American style. Like I was really enthralled with Latin dance, merengue and salsa. It was like almost 10 years of being fully immersed every single night going to the discotheque. Back then, the the DJs were really kind of like gods in, mm-hmm. in terms of the magic they weaved. And, you know, it's sort of, sort of a different story these days that in the sense that, you know, everyone's a DJ. And uh, that's largely because the, the barrier to entry has been lowered. You know, you don't really have to learn how to uh, beat match 
and you don't have mm-hmm. to spend thousands of dollars on records, you can just buy MP3 files. So, in some sense, you know, I, I feel like the the art of DJing has been maybe a little bit watered down because of that. What is it that sort of distinguishes a uh, a, a good DJ from from the herd, as it were? Well, one that you know <clears throat> makes you feel your feelings, probably. That's what I mean. That's there's lots of there's a good musical component. I think that DJs that dance make good DJs. Is that not a given? I don't know. I, I you know, there's been some I've seen over the years that I'm like, do you dance? And um, yeah, I don't think it is a given, but um, and that's okay too. There's a lot that's transmitted. So a, a good DJ, you have to have some good skills, of course, and I think you have to have such a deep love for music. Um, but music outside of yourself as well. So there's a real, like, you can be a real music nerd, but that doesn't mean that you can, you know, which ones to play for a group. So there's always that fine line. Like when, if I mentor anyone on playing music, I'd like to remind them like that song that you think is so great, but you have to break down why it's great for you. And it could often, it's a memory that's attached to it, you know, um, or a moment where you felt it, and it just doesn't translate to a floor. Mm. Like, yeah, a, lot, a few years ago, I played something, and in its day, it was an '80s song. In its day, it was great, but um, and sometimes those off a lot of those songs can translate and still be current, but just didn't work. And I realized it was like one of my tracks from when I was whatever, how older I was, 15 or something. And I, yeah, anyway, it's, I don't know. I I think that um, if a a DJ can be really in tune with themselves, but also with the audience or the the group that they're working with. And that's the thing, like, I don't work, I use that word audience. That's, that's not my place to play. I've played for audiences and it doesn't really work Mm -hmm. for me. Yeah, there's an exchange. Um, Yeah, like I don't like being the entertainment. And um, I like creating, um, I like creating a community space rather than being the entertainment. I, in my time, I have DJed for weddings or parties or whatever it is because the people have come to my event and they felt good and they're like, I want that at my wedding or I want, and then. I will come, but it's so different. Like people are coming to a wedding and they want to, they're going to have some alcohol and they want to, you know, what some one lady came up to me one time, she's just all drunk. When are you going to play some disco? And um, so that's not my thing. So there's so many different types of DJs and there's so many different venues within conscious dance or rave community or festivals. And um, so for me, I'm creating a journey and that's what I like to do. Mm. And even like I play a lot of dance temples, which I would deem ecstatic dance. And those can even start to wear on me a little bit because of the lack, for me, the lack of connection and where it's just me playing music. And I don't get to stop and say, okay, let's try this or let's create some art together uh, or things. And so the ecstatic dance world can get a little bit lacking for me. So, 
And it's amazing to have, you know, 100, 200 people dancing their faces off together is beautiful. So I don't mean to take away from that. I'm just talking about my experience of it. You know, in your work with danceability, you probably play out more than a lot of club DJs, which makes me wonder how, how you prepare in advance. Yeah. Well, yeah, that's a good, good question. Yeah. I mean, um, I have um, I have my way. Like, I consider myself to be an artist um, and that sort of like an artist, mystic kind of, like, a, I feel, you know, like a tarot deck. That's how I feel with the music because I have so much music. I let things surface. I let songs come to the top. And, um, and then I see what's there. Um, then I also have... Um, a reading disability so I can't just say oh that song by John Smith let's find that song by John Smith I don't know the names of tracks of course I know some but not I don't know many so I have a way of organizing them with certain words and so I find music that way so again it's sort of like a tarot deck I never if I type in you know it would say just with five rhythms in the five rhythms practice for those that don't know, it was created by Gabrielle Roth in the 70s, and it's a beautiful practice. But we follow a map with five different rhythms, and first rhythm is flowing. So within my library, I'll have things tagged under flowing, and then there'll be sub-tags like flowing inertia or flowing into staccato or whatever my thing is. Um, so then I never know what songs are actually going to come up because I've tagged them. And so then I have a pool to look at. But so say preparing for a dance your ability class, of course, it depends on the group. And if I'm working with people that say are living with dementia, then I'm going to pick music of their generation only. That's how I work. Um, I do see some people do other like they play current music, but uh, I just, I'm in there for the medicine and I know the medicine happens when they hear music from their generation. Mm. And of course they can hear new music. That's not a problem, but that's just not the way I go about it. Mm. Um, and so I just go in and I listen, listen to tracks that I like. I've gotten very uh, good at um, having my libraries much bigger with music from the forties and the fifties. I only play songs that I really like because that's another thing is um, to embody the music that you're playing. And I think that's really important. But say for a uh, five rhythms event, I, okay, so this is how I work. I have, say I've got three events for the week. I have um, playlists. I open up playlists, create a playlist, I should say. And then throughout the week, I just throw songs in because I'm always listening to music. And um, not always, but I go, I go for walks to listen to music and I'll just put them in those playlists. I'm like, Oh, that's a good dance temple song or that's perfect for the theme I'm working with, with the five rhythms class or, Oh, that'd be a fun one for kids. That'll be a good one to get them moving. And then, um, then I have those playlists. And then when I go to work with that playlist for that event, I tag any songs that haven't been tagged. So I'm constantly organizing my music organization is for me i think the number one thing for working with music otherwise you'll just get you'll drown you know i, I feel that in my limited experience in djing that it, it's incredibly vulnerable to play music for people <laughs> and, yes and and the art of it is really about managing your your internal state that when you are actually enjoying the music or really into the music then 
you know, chances are people are going to dance. How, how do you manage your uh, mm -hmm. internal state? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you know, when I first started, I remember like literally pushing play and looking away from the dancers because I was too nervous to see how they were going to respond. And um, now I don't do that. The painful part is when, you, for me, when I play a track and I'm like, oh, I. <laughs> Uh, this is not, and you got to, you know, obviously you can fade it out and start a new one, but it's sometimes you got to see, see it through. But um, yeah, you know, honestly, the dancing, because I'm moving while I'm playing, that's very helpful and playing songs that I like. So then that's helpful too. Um, and I surrender to the dance. And, you know, I, I have a lot of years and a lot of hours. Like, I work a lot. I say yes. I don't say yes to everything anymore, but I used to say yes to everything because I knew the way for me to, to get better was to do it. I'm not going to learn in my office by myself. Um, I need to be with people and be courageous and push play and fail and flump and and do all the things. Um, but, you know, honestly, I, I have played music since I was younger. Um, I often gravitated towards the stereo, you know, back in the olden days, it was records. And I was really comfortable looking at someone's record collection and picking what to listen to and stuff. I, that was a place that I like to hang out. And so, um, and I grew up in a really musical not not instruments but um they, my mom and stepdad had a massive record collection and they played music all the time so it's comfortable for me to play music um but it is a painful thing like where you put a song on like you say say so there's different venues right like dance temple people come and go they can arrive whenever they want they can leave whenever they want um they can leave the space and go and talk uh, whereas if it's a class or a workshop, people are in. So when things get uncomfortable, we move through it. Mm. And if it's a dance temple, ecstatic dance situation, they can be like, oh, I'm uncomfortable or I don't like this song. I'm out of here. So then the container can get kind of loose. And for me, that's really hard. I don't like that. I'm like, yeah, so maybe you don't like this song, but look, this person does. And they're part of our community. So I like to call that love, that love of music and movement. It's like, that's their language. And so this, you don't speak this language, but that person does. So look to them, look how they're moving to this mm -hmm. music and mm -hmm. that's their language. So like fall in love with that. Compersion. Um, but, pardon? Uh, I think the term is compersion. Compersion. I don't know that word. Basically, it's it's taking joy in the joy of others, you know. Ah, I love it. Yes, yeah. I'm going to look that one up. You know, one of the reasons I love conscious dance is it really feels like something I can grow old with. I hope so. I I hope that. Um, yeah, I I because I'll still want to dance, and I trust that others will still want to dance, and um, yeah, I don't. I hope that. Yeah, I don't know if my body wants to carry speakers into my 70s, but maybe it's still good for you. You know, it's just the lugging of the speakers is a, a funny thing. Um, I mean, I don't dislike it. It's just a funny thing. 
Um, yeah, hundred percent. I want to keep playing music for people to move their bodies. And this, I mean, this is my current profession and I hope that it's also my profession in retirement and mm. I hope to not retire and just keep, keep, uh, I just, I, it, it's just the best medicine and it's the place where magic is created and it never gets old and it's, um, we've always made music and we've always moved our bodies and we've done that together. And so I can, I hope to continue to do that and, and mm. be with people. Well, Shauna, thank you so much for the chat. Mm. And people want to find out more about the dance, uh, your ability trainings coming up. Where can they go? They can go to the website, danceyourability.com, and they can visit me at shaunadevlin.net. Um, yeah, but we're out there and, and doing really amazing work. And the, another thing to, even if you're not interested in the training, but it's to go on Instagram and follow Dance Your Ability on Instagram because we post a lot of representation. So all different bodies, all different ages, um, sizes, and doing dance. And so uh, that's another thing I'm really passionate about is representation. I truly believe in representation and that, you know, um, we're in a, you know, it's the, the, the pool is a white cisgendered um, certain body type, um, slim body type thing. And it's just not reality. And so the more we can represent um, different colors and sizes and shapes and abilities, um, that is just a better world. Hmm. So yeah, so Instagram is a fun place to be on Dance Your Ability because we have lots of amazing humans doing their dance. Well, I'll see you on the dance floor. Yeah, thanks, Silas. It's fun to do this. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Shauna. And if you did, please consider forwarding it to a friend. If you want to learn more about Shauna's work or the Dance Your Ability training, head over to Dance Your Ability. You can also check out awakenrelationship.com, and I'll post some links there in the show notes. I can be found on Instagram, LinkedIn, and Substack. If you have any feedback or suggestions for future guests, reach out to me through the contact page of my website or on my socials. I love hearing from my listeners. If you made it this far into the episode, I want to thank you, dear listener, for tuning in. Keep dancing and stay connected. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of Awake in Relationship. If you liked what you heard, please click subscribe to get the latest show delivered fresh to your device or sign up for our newsletter at awakeinrelationship.com. Sharing is caring. 